We are up to mitzvah number 66. This is a very important mitzvah. And that is the mitzvah of loaning money to our fellow Jew in their time of need. And actually in one verse in Exodus chapter 22, verse 24, there are three mitzvahs. Mitzvah number 66, which is to loan money. The next mitzvah, mitzvah number 67, to not demand repayment when you know that the borrower does not have the funds available. And the following mitzvah, mitzvah number 68, to not participate in any way in an interest-bearing loan between two Jews. Today we're going to do only mitzvah number 66, and next time we'll do 67, and the following time, please God, mitzvah number 68. So the verse tells us that if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, don't act as a creditor, exact no interest from them. And the Talmud tells us that this is one of the places in the Torah where it says, if, if you lend money, but it's actually obligatory, it's one of the mitzvahs of the Torah in the event that someone has extra capital, extra cash, and there's another Jew who needs a loan, then it is a mitzvah for someone to give this loan. Now, there's a separate mitzvah, mitzvah number 479, and that is a mitzvah to give charity. This mitzvah is talking about giving a loan. It's not a handout. It's not a gift. It's a loan to help tide someone over, give them a little boost when they need it. But the intention is that you receive the money back. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, the book that we're using to guide us through the mitzvahs, he points out at the very beginning that this particular mitzvah to give a loan is actually greater than giving charity. Because when someone needs charity, when they need a handout, they've already reached the point of financial despair. And they've, so to speak, lost their dignity to a certain extent, and they have now become needy, and they need people's gifts. However, when someone needs a loan, maybe they're teetering on the bank of financial despair, but they're not quite there. And they just need a little boost. And you give them a loan. And hopefully they could parlay that loan into some sort of opportunity, some sort of business, some sort of initiative, some sort of side hustle. And they can make a profit. And they could give you back your original investment. And then they could hopefully go on from there. And they can never need a handout. By giving someone a loan, you could actually not only solve a problem, but prevent the problem. And therefore, it is much greater, we're told over here, than even giving charity. And of course, it's more wonderful because you get the money back. But it's a beautiful mitzvah here that we should try to help someone before they need a handout, allow them to save face, allow them to earn a profit with dignity. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, every mitzvah, he tries to explain to us what the rationale for that mitzvah is. And as we know, and as we've mentioned numerous times, we don't believe that we know the actual reason why we have a mitzvah. The actual reason why we have a mitzvah is because the Imani tells us to. Nevertheless, we're encouraged to try to make it more meaningful and relevant to us by trying to study and explore and examine what is the reason for this mitzvah. What do we gain? How do we get transformed 
by doing this. And he says an idea, this is an idea that he revisits many times in his book, that this particular mitzvah achieves the goal of creation. Because the goal of creation is for the mighty to benefit, to do good to humanity. But the goodness that the Almighty does to humanity is reserved for when humanity is deserving of that goodness. And therefore, the Torah is there for us to perfect ourselves and thus to make ourselves worthy recipients of divine goodness. When we become kind and charitable and merciful and caring and benevolent, we're changing our spiritual physiology and we're making ourselves into people that are worthy of divine goodness. And then he adds, even if we want to ignore that, there's another powerful idea over here. The Almighty, of course, he gives life and vitality to all of his creations. But it's not distributed equally. Today, of course, there's a big push. We have to have income inequality. The Almighty does not believe in income inequality. So the obvious question is, if the Almighty loves us all, and we would assume, we have no reason to assume that uh, it's not the case, he, he loves us all maybe equally, how come what he distributes to us is unequal? So what the Sefer Chinuch says, based upon the Talmud, that part of the Almighty's kindness is that A, he hires us, so to speak, as his partners. And he says, you know what? I do want to make sure everyone has all their needs taken care of, but I want to do it in a way that creates a certain interdependence between humanity. And I want to do it in a way where certain people are going to be given a larger slice of the pie, so to speak, with the intention that they're going to be the Almighty's partners and help distribute that for him. We are going to do, so to speak, the last mile of the Almighty's delivery of his goodness to humanity. And he has another point. Why does the Almighty make people needy? So that other people can become the Almighty's partner to help uplift them. And then he gets a little sidetracked, so to speak, or goes off on a tangent to discuss this question. Why indeed is there ever a need for charity? Isn't a charity a glitch in the system? Isn't charity, by definition, an instance where someone does not have what they need? Why would the Almighty not give everyone what they need? And therefore, there would be no reason, there would be no need for charity at all. So he said one point, and that is the Almighty wants us to be partners with him. And the matter wants us to recognize that whatever we have is from God, and therefore we have to be good, just stewards of what he gives us, and we have to fulfill his will. And if his will is that we help others, then we do that as well. But he also adds that when the Almighty withholds blessing and goodness from a person, that's also something good, because that's a lesson. And that's an encouragement for that person to rectify the ways. When the Almighty withholds a benefit from you, it's a message and it's a lesson. 
And it's coming there to teach you that the Almighty is a little bit disappointed with you. And hopefully, you will use that opportunity to say, okay, well, how can I rectify my ways? And how do I get, so to speak, on the Almighty's good side? And that is a great boon to you because it can help you hopefully reorient your life decisions and hopefully improve yourself. And then he references an interesting debate that is featured in the Talmud in the book of Bava Basra, page 10a. And the Talmud quotes a debate that happened between Rabbi Ativa and the Roman governor whose name was Turnus Rufus. And the Roman governor said to Rabbi Ativa, imagine there was a king who had a servant and the king got angry at the servant. And he incarcerated him. And he declared, no one should give him any food. And some good Samaritan, if you will, went and gave him food and gave him something to drink and sustained him. Wouldn't the king be angry at the person who directly disobeyed the will of the king? So too over here, the king, God, decided that people should be lacking, people should be wanting, people should be poor. People should lack the basic needs that they need. And you're going to give them charity? And you're going to give them loans? Aren't you directly disobeying the king's instruction? So Rabbi Tiva responded, says, no, you have the example, the analogy incorrectly. This is not a king who incarcerates his servant. This is a king who gets angry and incarcerates his own child and makes a declaration. No one should give him any food. No one should give him any water. And some good Samaritan, if you will, goes and gives him food and water. Ultimately, the king loves his child. And therefore, he'll be very happy that someone will sustain them. So too, the Imani loves the poor people, but he still wants us to be his emissaries to go help them. And here we have a mitzvah. The mitzvah is to loan them money in the event that we have money available and we're able to do it and within reason. We'll talk a little bit more about the details of how this is done in just a little bit. Now, in addition to lending money, there is included in this mitzvah a requirement to lend items, things, your lawnmower, your car, your van. If you have a truck, your truck. You have a book, lend your books. I have a friend who has a truck, a pickup truck. And he told me that the lease is ending in December. And he doesn't think he actually needs a pickup truck. But he says that his biggest regret is the fact that he's not going to be able to lend it out. And he wants to get another truck just so he could be able to lend it out to people, you know, people moving or people picking up heavy stuff. He says every single week he has an opportunity to do a mitzvah to lend people his truck. And now he's upset. He's going to get some sort of sedan or something like that. He's not able to do that mitzvah. I feel like like that story is, is truly fulfilling the spirit of the mitzvah, where someone is so eager to help others and to lend them both 
financially, but also with your things. I know whenever I lend out books, there's something about books that when people borrow them, it ends up on their bookshelf. And from the spine of the book, you can't tell it's not yours. And people forget about it and they don't look at the front flap and they just assume that it's part of their library. And it does eventually get subsumed into their library and will never get it back. I know this past week, I actually had a few books that I found in my library, in my office. Oops, this is actually not mine. This is not mine. And I'm like, oh, it's a week before Shoshana. I better make sure I get them back to their rightful owner. So I went around the neighborhood and returned this book to this person and that book. I borrowed a book from the shul and returned it to them. But I know that I have a bunch of books that are missing and I have no idea who I lent it to and they're, I assume they're gone forever. Recently, I had a very expensive book and a very hard-to-find book. And I was not willing to lose this one. And someone wanted to borrow it. So I said to them, okay, listen, I'm going to lend you the book. No problem. However, I'm lending it to you right now. And I'm also sending you an email right now. But an email that I'm writing right now, and I'm scheduling it to be sent in three months. You know, you could send an email, but you could schedule the sending of the email for some time down the road. And I said to him, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm typing this now, but because I don't want to lose this book, I'm going to make sure I send you the email that three months I'm going to want it back. Ultimately, he finished it in like two weeks, so I got it back. But anyhow, that's the principle. We have stuff, and we recognize that they come from God. Everything we have, every blessing that we have is from God. And the money is telling us that the reason why he gives us more than we need, or one of the reasons is because he also wants us to develop warm relationships with our friends and to acquire good characteristics of kindness, of generosity, of empathy for other people. And that means lending them both money when they need it and other things when feasible. Now, of course, we don't have, or at least most people don't have, unlimited funds. And a major component of this law and the details that we're told about this law in the Talmud is to try to figure out, okay, what's the hierarchy of recipients? Suppose you have a fixed amount of assets, of money, and you want to lend it out. Well, two people need it and only one person can get it. What do you do? So we're told in the Talmud and the literature that there is a certain hierarchy. If you have a Jew, one of your brothers, of course, that comes before a non-Jew. What about if you have a business and your business is to lend your money with interest to non-Jews? We know we are not allowed to charge interest to loans, you know, to Jews when we, when we give a Jewish person a loan. But to non-Jews, we can. Must I forfeit my potential profit of taking this money and lending it to a non-Jew with interest and give the loan to a Jew, interest-free? And the answer is, of course, it depends. If someone's livelihood is loaning money with interest, then they are not required to stop loaning money with interest to Gentiles in order to loan money interest-free to a Jew but otherwise, we would still give it to the Jew 
interest-free before the non-Jew with interest. Now, this mitzvah is framed as lending money to the poor, but this applies as well, we're told in the Talmud, also to the wealthy. Even the wealthy, sometimes they need liquidity, they are leveraged. It's a little mitzvah to lend the people that have a lot of assets, but they need something a little bit more liquid. But of course, you have a poor person and a rich person, the poor person gets precedence. What about men and women? So again, we're told quite interestingly, if they're both poor, then the woman goes first. If neither of them are poor, they're both rich, then the man goes first. What about if there's a poor person who needs food and there's a poor person who needs clothing? The person who needs the most basic need, food, comes first. If you have relatives, they come before everyone. If you have neighbors, they come before people who live far away. If you have a Torah scholar, that person takes precedence before a an ignoramus. A Kohen comes before a Levite, who comes before an Israelite, etc. There's lots of details, but there is a fixed hierarchy. Now, the Talmud tells us something really interesting. Talmud says that if someone does not loan money to other people, then it's akin to them doing idolatry. Now, of course, that's a very weighty accusation. And the obvious question is, what does idolatry have to do with refraining from loaning money to your Jew, your fellow Jew in need? So some of the commentators speculated that at its core, this mitzvah is about having faith in God. To know that the Almighty gave you everything that you have, and if he tells you to do something, and that's a mitzvah, you have to realize that you're not going to lose out. But when someone says, I'm not willing to risk it, in effect, they are abandoning God. Maybe they're embracing the foreign God of silver and gold, but they're certainly not behaving with the palpable recognition that it's the Almighty who gave them everything that they have. The Talmud adds that this transgression of withholding from lending money or things to people need is one of the reasons why someone would get saras. Saras, you may recall, is the physical slash spiritual ailment that happens to people who do a variety of sins. And this saras, this leprosy-like ailment, can appear on someone's skin or in someone's garments or in someone's home. And the Talmud tells us that if someone is unwilling to share things, then this is a cause for them to get saras in their home because when someone has saras in their home, they have to empty all their stuff into the front yard. So someone comes to you and says, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? Lawnmower? I don't have a lawnmower. Who has a lawnmower? You know what the mind's going to do? The mind's going to force you to take your lawnmower and push it out to your front yard where everyone can see. Now, the Chavetz Chaim wrote a book called Ahavas Chesed, which means love of kindness, 
which is almost like an encyclopedia of all the laws of kindness and generosity and charity. And the first couple of chapters deal with this particular mitzvah, that mitzvah that we are required to loan money and things to our fellow Jew in their time of need. I want to run through some of the details, some of the miscellaneous laws related to this mitzvah. How much do you have to loan? How much money must you give a poor person in need as a loan? For how long must your money be tied up? So the answer is as much as you can for as long as you can. And he stresses that it's important to have documentation of this loan. Remember, it's a loan. It's not a gift. You want to know. You want to have witnesses. You want to have a contract. You want to have a collateral. You want to prevent any uncertainty in the future. You want to make sure that everyone knows exactly what is happening over here. You are not required to lend money to someone who is not trustworthy. You are required to lend when you have cash available. But if you don't have cash available, you don't need to borrow money to be able to lend it. Here's an interesting question. What if you have a fixed amount of money and you have several options? You could either lend a big chunk of cash to one person. Maybe they need some help with a down payment for a home. They're making a big purchase. They need a lot of money. Or you could give, I don't know, 100 different loans, smaller loans to 100 different people. So we're told that it's better to loan a small amount to a lot of people. You're fulfilling a lot of mitzvahs, helping a lot of people, than one lump sum to one person. And this, by the way, applies also with charity. You could give a $100 bill, which is great, but $101 bills, it's the same amount of money, but it's a 100 distinct acts of a mitzvah. Now, who is required to lend money? That's an easy question to answer. The answer is everyone. And who must you lend to? The answer is also everyone. Men, women, rich people, poor people, old people, young people, righteous people, sinners, even if there's a sinner who continuously violates the Torah, so long as they believe in the basics, the 30 principles of Judaism, and they're not violating the Torah out of spite, no one's perfect after all, you require to lend to that person as well. However, if the person says, I need this money to go do a sin, then it would be prohibited because you cannot aid someone to do something which is a sin. But this is such an important mitzvah that we're told that someone can be studying Torah, which is the most important mitzvah of them all. And someone comes and says, hey, I want to borrow money. And you say, listen, come back to me. I'm in the middle of studying Torah. So there are a few mitzvahs that we're told that even if you are studying Torah, you're in the middle of doing the most important mitzvah that there is because you're the only person who could fulfill this other mitzvah. No one else could do it besides for you. You must interrupt your study and go tend to that mitzvah. You're studying Torah. You're the only person that has the cash available. You're the only person who can do this mitzvah. You have to stop, get the witnesses, 
get a contract, get the collateral, lend the money, and then once you're done, go back to your study. Now, this law, I think, is a little bit difficult, but certainly it would achieve the aims of the mitzvah. What about if there's someone that you really don't like? You don't like their personality. You just don't like them. Must you lend them money? And again, we're told that you have to treat them the same. They're a fellow Jew. They're your brother. And you know what? Not all siblings love each other, but you're still blood. You're still relatives. And therefore, you are required, if need be, to help them in their time of need and don't refrain and withhold from loaning them money or things if you dislike them on a personal level. Again, provided that they're righteous, they're a good person. It's not someone who's using it for a sin. Outside of those situations, you're required to give them the money even though you personally dislike that person. I remember when I was in high school, I had a funny episode which just popped into my head when I was thinking about lending money. So our high school was situated on a large yeshiva campus that housed a bunch of different yeshivos. And one of the yeshivas that it housed was a yeshiva dedicated to students who didn't have a very strong background in Torah learning. They were newcomers. And so we all share this campus, but in the main building of this campus, they had vending machines. And we would go to buy a soda, buy a snack during the break time to the vending machines. So I remember I was once, I was 10 cents shy of what I needed. And I remember there was this gentleman, he was part of the other yeshiva, and he was... I think it was Russian. That's what my memory tells me. It was Russian. And I said to him, can I borrow 10 cents? So he says, sure. He pulls out a dime, gives me a dime. And he says, okay. He pulls out his Palm Pilot. That's how long ago it was. He pulls out his Palm Pilot. He says, okay, what's your name? So he writes down my name. 10 cents, right? And then he says to me, I, I will never forget this. He says to me, what's your phone number? And I remember thinking, this is not so long ago. This is not when 10 cents was really $100. It still costed 25 cents to make a phone call. I said to him, I promise you, I'll get you back your 10 cents. You don't need to call me. And indeed, I, I uh, paid him back. I just remembered that was a funny story. So I think it's a, it's a good characteristic to try to train ourselves in. And again, the principle is the money wants us to be good people to have warm and close relationships between us and our brethren, our family members, if you will, literally and figuratively. And if they need some help, they need a boost, and you know what? They could be a poor person, and they're kind of vacillating. They could go both ways. They could become someone who becomes needy, someone who's on the public dime because they're poor. And they're on welfare. And then you may have the ability to help prevent that. And therefore we're told in this mitzvah, and we're told this is a commandment to lend money to your brethren, to the Almighty's nation. 
in their time of need. And the next mitzvah we're going to learn about is, okay, you lent in the money, now what? What does your relationship look like after you've loaned money to someone? And what are the conditions of that loan? It's got to be interest-free, as we shall yet see in mitzvah number 67 and 68.